All right, everybody, welcome to B.O. Boys for Thursday, July 27th. Fuck it. It's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. Clayton, Barbenheimer is here. We covered it the other day on our weekend wrap-up episode, but to really get into it, we had to bring in the legend himself, the icon, the box office daddy. He is the one and only Scott Mendelson is here to cover the one of the biggest weeks in box office history. Scott, thanks for joining the BO Boys. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm recording from Akron, Ohio. I'm, an, I'm on a quasi-working vacation to visit family. The only reason it's not a vacation vacation is I was in Hawaii a couple weeks ago. Uh, so this time I'm actually, you know, putting, you know, working while I'm here. Okay, um, he's working. What are you? You're, what, what are you doing in Ohio? What is what is the work that you could get done box office theatrical well, wise in Ohio? Don't tell anyone, but I'm going to various small town theaters in small town Ohio and seeing if the sound or the sound of freedom theaters are actually as full as Fandango proclaims them to be. Wow. Now, I mean, the thing is, if if that word gets out, you know, someone's sitting in a, in a sound of freedom theater and they Scott Scott, they spot Scott Mendelson come in, they know that there's box office investigative reporting going on and they're going to call their buddies and they're gonna be like, get your butts in these seats because Mendelssohn yeah. is here <laughs> and he, he's checking up well, on the Sound of Freedom if, Theater. If he's this needs sure to be seen, I am making a joke. I'm not actually doing he's, that. Of course Between not. Between you and me, I mean, whether or not the conspiracy theories about people buying tickets and not using them is actually true, I don't care because honestly, it's a victimless crime. You know, right. the, the theaters are getting the money and that's all that matters. Right. And of course, Sound people, of Freedom, Sound of Freedom, box office pundits like me. Right. Yeah. And Sound of Freedom, the main thing you think of with Sound of Freedom is victimless crime. So that is what the producers of that movie are always stressing. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to obviously this is going to be heavily Barbenheimer today and then 10 seconds on Haunted Mansion preview. But let's start real quick. So, Scott, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. I mean, it is now officially every day losing the daily box office tallies to Sound of Freedom. It's fallen behind Sound of Freedom this past weekend and its second weekend. Monday, Tuesday, it ranks behind Sound of Freedom. Is Mission Impossible, A, going to make less than Sound of Freedom? Is it going to make less than Dial of Destiny? Give us your Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1 state of the union what is well, what is going on not to toot my own horn but i think the general paying consumers liked it about as much as i did comparatively speaking that's not to say that they didn't think it was fine whatever I and mean, i think we all went in the summer thinking including myself thinking mm-hmm. that it was going to be an event and yeah. i think for most moviegoers it was closer in line to something like uh, the flash or dial of destiny Whereas or or Rise of the Beast, where oh, it's just another, you know, this franchise we get them every once in a while, and this week it's one of these. Wow, it, was, I, you know, there obviously was no Top Gun bump of any way, shape, or form, uh, and yeah, domestically, unless Sound of Freedom drops dead after in this weekend, it's pulling ahead little by little every day, and I don't think Mission Impossible is going to catch up. Right, because Sound of Freedom yeah. is ahead of Mission Impossible in the total now. So ahead since if, Sunday. Yeah, so if Mission Impossible doesn't make up ground, it's already lost. Which is, 
uh, just a crazy thought. I mean, there was no Maverick bump. Was there almost a a maverick deficit where people felt like we saw so much of Tom Cruise last year. We need some time off because it does feel like didn't, I can't imagine maverick hurt this movie, but no, cause I mean, here's the thing. I mean, it opened on a Wednesday, which I think was a mistake because mm-hmm. the film did what? $80 million over five days. Yeah. It would have been a lot easier to sell, say 70, 75 million over three days as a win. Mm-hmm. You know, a solid uptick from Mission Impossible Fallout versus having to explain why in five days it did less than Dial of Destiny in its first five days. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a mistake. Right. Um, I think they all knew the freight train that was Barbenheimer coming down the tracks, but not in time to say, to hell with this, we're opening on July 7th, which right. you know, in a perfect world would have been the option. Right. I think a right. lot of pundits and I think a lot of studio people overestimated Dial of Destiny in the Flash. Because if you go into it thinking those films might underperform, then July 7th is a golden release date. Right, right. So so you feel like they yeah, held it. To- and yeah. the Flash is going to be the next Aquaman, then you keep your distance. Right, right. And yeah, there, there's I a lot of Monday cool. morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking about that release date, but two months ago, it looked like the perfect release date. And I don't, you know, when oh, Barbie it, was it tracking to open at 60. Right. And right. I could joke that, ha ha, I didn't know it was going to be the worst film since part three, but I mean, a, I'm in a minority opinion on that. I'm aware of that. The other thing is, you know, I don't think that had much to do with it. You know, we got an A from Cinema Score. The people that showed up liked it. I just, it clearly did not become the gotta see it, fear of missing out event film of the summer, or at least one of the event films of the summer. You know, even something along the lines of, say, you know, Across the Spider Verse of Guardians 3. Mm-hmm. And it lost the PLF screens, it lost the IMAX screens, which I met, you know, which Tom Cruise saw coming. Um, and now it's in a position of being an also ran. It mm-hmm. also exists. Right. You know, if you're right. going to the movies in the next month, you know, especially if you're like an adult that only goes once or twice a month, if that, with or without a babysitter, you're probably seeing Barbie or Oppenheimer. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing because the thought was, you know, the Maverick bump, like you said, did not materialize. And I had been saying it for a long time. But the thing with what they were hoping with this seven was that the people who don't go to the theater a lot would go and see this movie. Like people who hadn't seen a movie since Maverick would see this movie. Yeah. But what they did, like you said, was they went to see Barbie or Oppenheimer. Uh, Those are people who don't go to see movies regularly. And they went to see that not a number seven in a franchise that's always done. Okay. Domestically. Yes. And I think globally it will do Okay. The problem is it costs what two ninety to make, which again, mm-hmm. that's that's an issue with a number of franchises we're seeing this summer with because of COVID upcharges, because of star salaries, because of inflation, because of various other variables are a lot more expensive than previous installments in their respective franchises. And as a result, for example, Fast X only doing about as well as F9 looks a lot worse on paper because one cost around what 240 or whatever the other cost 340 mm-hmm, and Mr. Right. Impossible Fallout cost 180 
but this one costs you 90. So there you go. Now, hopefully that's a temporary situation because a lot of these films were greenlit before COVID and they were expecting a COVID, a pre-COVID marketplace, both worldwide and especially in China, which delivers almost no money nowadays, more or less. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways, Barbie and Oppenheimer are a way forward. You know, Bar- those films combined cost less money than Dial of Destiny. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the, uh, on this franchise uh, note, you know, this summer does seem to be the story of franchises being put to rest in some way or hitting a real valley. So which franchises of those we mentioned would you say are pretty much dead at the, you know, at the box office? Like obviously Mission Impossible, they're going to make another one. But coming off of this, we may be truly looking at the next Mission Impossible being something of a series finale. It may just have to be. I mean, so Fast and Furious, where do you think that is? Is that a one movie? And to be fair, Mm-hmm. You know, Mission Impossible and Fast X were both intended to be part one of two with, you know, being a series finale. You know, I used to joke, you know, Dominic Toretto and the Deathly Mufflers part one or whatever. Uh-huh. But, you know, so, I mean, that's why I'm not that concerned for right. these franchises because Mr. Impossible was always supposed to end after the next one. Fast X was supposed to end after the next one. I don't think there's going to be a six Indiana Jones film. Uh, I, I think, think there's not. There's going to be one regardless. So Right. What? Is is Transformers a dead franchise? Do you think that's, that that's a good question? Because weirdly enough, of the mid June f- franchise pictures, that one did the best, which is funny if you think about it. It um, held pretty well after the low opening, but it still doesn't feel like a franchise that has no, much momentum. It, it's going to do about Bumblebee numbers, but on a bigger budget. Right, right. And you're right; yeah. it, it doesn't have franchise momentum in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, you know, they were teasing at the end of that. It's going to be Transformers and G.I. Joe. And and obviously, you know I don't think that. Son said after that scene? What is that? What is G.I. Joe? Yep. Wow. Exactly. Wow. 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 Yeah, it. It's so. Waving the red flag. So. Oh. And, and now, you know, the Flash. We've got Blue Beetle coming up in August. I know you're you're a big still proponent of Aquaman's going to do fine, but as we get close, you that is the thing that is the movie that does have a you know bona fide star director behind it. He did the first one, but DC really does feel like a dead IP outside of, of course. You put out a Batman movie, you put out Joker's the biggest movie star in the world still, but. DC does feel like it just has such a stink on it that overall, to me, that feels like a dead franchise if you consider Batman a non-DC property. And as I've said many times, and you're probably all sick of hearing this, they were doing fine before COVID. Mm -hmm. They just got kneecapped by a number of factors. COVID, you know, Wonder Woman 84 would have been a hit. Um, the Snyder cut because HBO Max needed content. It brought the whole Snyder thing discourse back to the front of the table. Um, Warner Brothers went through like 8,000 regime changes in a two, three year period. And all of that just sucked that marrow dry. And between you and me, I mean, I think James Wan's Superman legacy will be very good because he generally makes very good movies. But Mm -hmm. 
I don't think that friend that's gonna save the day. I don't think, I think so with something like that, you get one chance to say we could do it. Mm-hmm. And for the last 10 years, they've been you know up and down, up and down, up and down with some genuine highs. Again, right. say what you will about what DC did or didn't do. They got critically acclaimed blockbusters out of Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And Joker. And Joker, an R-rated action right. light, you know, Oscar nominated, Oscar winning. Oscar drama. winning, yeah. Right. They cost about as much as the first Deadpool film. Right. That made a billion dollars. And now Blue Beetles track into open in single digits. Yeah. And, and that, and that was, should, you know, and it breaks my heart from a representation standard that should have come out in 2017, 2018. Right. Right. Well, it's a movie that costs $120 million, which is only $25 million less than Barbie. And yeah, I, I I went to see Barbie today and that trailer came on and there was zero interest for it because it looks like the way they're selling it is if Spider-Man was a Kafkaesque monster, like if he had to become a beetle in the most terrifying way possible, it's the same thing. And it's like, who wants to see Spider-Man with Kafka? I mean, that I think yeah. to me... It, I think the first trailer is good. I think mm-hmm. the second trailer is very busy in a, a non-entertaining way. Yeah. yeah. And it's doing the whole, you know, remember Iron Man? This is the same plot. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So Barbie. About the Spider-Man thing. I never thought about that. You know, it's like, what if Spider-Man really did grow, you know, eight legs and suit webs out of his ass? It's yeah. disgusting. Um, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's body horror. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's body horror. Yeah. It's body horror. Yeah. It's Cronenberg takes over DC, which it's D it's DC as in David Cronenberg. That's yes. what DC it's, has hey, become. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it would be something, you know, at least it would be something interesting, but let's flesh? talk. Let's oh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Barbie. So, Scott, put into perspective for us, you know, the Clayton and I tried to talk about this opening weekend and how historic it was. And now we've got numbers on how it's played on Monday, how it's played on Tuesday. How incredible is this first five days of Barbie so far? Uh, potentially game changing. Wow. Um, wow. Whenever I blow a call, and I do. Mm-hmm. When I look over it, I realize all the rules that I keep in my head that I forgot to apply to the film in question. Mm-hmm. And with you know, everyone's been spending all summer saying, "What's the you know, what's the next Top Gun Maverick? Is this going to be the next Top Gun Maverick?" And what I always say is that the next Harry Potter was the Twilight series, which had nothing to do with Harry Potter. Couldn't mm-hmm. be more different. And mm-hmm. the next Twilight saga was the Hunger Games, which was itself very dis- you know very different from the Twilight films. What was mm-hmm. the next Game of Thrones? It was The Boys, which was very different from Game of Thrones. So mm-hmm. I ask you, this summer, what becomes the next Top Gun Maverick? The most, the film least like Top Gun Maverick you could possibly imagine. A candy-coated, action-light, kid-friendly, female-skewing Barbie movie. Yep. Yep. Y- y- you never know. And, like, I, you were here, I think it was in June, was the last time you were here. And at that point... The Barbie tracking had not gotten anywhere near to exploding. It's, it was still, could this, this could open at 40 or this could open at 60. It was in that range. Yeah. And the, the, I thought the, it would be a solid hit just because yes. it looked good. Warner what? Brothers was spending the money. I think the one unpredictable, excuse me, the one unpredictable thing that happened 
one of the many unpredictable things that happened is that not only did the online discourse bleed out into the real world, but the discourse was almost overwhelmingly positive. Yes. Instead of having these obnoxious think pieces about, you know, Oppenheimer is the triumph of dude cinema, while Barbie is the triumph of, you know, what real, you know, counterculture and counterprogramming and the movie we need right now. Everyone was rooting for both films. Yes. I haven't yes. seen blockbuster discourse this entirely non-toxic since Godzilla v. Kong. Yeah, yeah. It, it and and the thing that happened at the end of Godzilla v Kong is they both ended up on the same side. Spoiler exactly. alert! Exactly. And that's what Barbenheimer was. It was Godzilla yes. v Kong, where at first you think they're going to fight, but then at the end they team up, and everyone just loves seeing them team up. And listen, I I and Clayton said this in 2021 that Godzilla v Kong should have opened that year's Oscars. They should have hosted the Oscars. I and agree. coming coming off of Barbenheimer weekend, you got to get in character Margot Robbie and Killian Murphy to co-host the Oscars as Barbie and I actually and, think it would be funnier because Killian Murphy is such a distinct personality. I actually uh-huh. think it would be funnier having him as himself doing that kind of gig. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, if he seems very similar to Oppenheimer, so, you know, introduce him as Killian Murphy, but he's going to wear yeah. the same clothes and yeah, he's yeah. going to scare the shit out of you. So either way, but <laughs> that it's true. That's what people loved about this weekend was there was just a, a, a sweetness and a camaraderie, whether you were seeing the movie about the toy or you were seeing the movie about nuclear holocaust, either way, you were you were happy about it. Um, so this, you know, sticking to, uh, this Barbie weekend, I mean, talk about is you said it was a game changer In what way do you think this could potentially be a game changer for the industry? Well, I think the both films doing as well as they did both films doing frankly, best case scenario business, both mm-hmm. films helping each other. Like, you know, again, I think they both would have been hits. But let's be honest, if they had opened like apart from each other, we'd probably be talking about why a 40 million opening for Oppenheimer is just fine, damn it. Because remember, Interstellar and Dunkirk only opened to 50. Mm-hmm. And we'd be talking about how, you know, great, Barbie opened to $60 million. That's terrific. Didn't quite sell as many tickets as Scooby-Doo, but hey, whatever. Well, um, so you think the combination was that important, that it basically added... Um, a hundred million potentially to Barbie, and I, I mean, I told I, I think, I think I we think all agree end, that I but, think by the end it was a little less than that in the sense that Barbie was obviously a much right. bigger deal than e- the, even the optimists had presumed. Right. Um, in the same way that you know, when Top Gun opened, like, oh, yeah, it's doing great, it might do 125 million, ah, ah, ah. right, and then it does right. 125 in three days, right, um, right, but yes, I think by the end they had lifted each other up to such an extent because both films were part of the, the top of the pop culture discourse. Yeah. All the pop culture conversations were about those two films. And unlike most films that come out these days, and this has been the case for several years, there really was a fear of missing out to use internet lingo surrounding these two pictures. That right. So, as long as you were old enough to sit through a three-hour R-rated movie about the atomic bomb, atomic bomb, you wanted to see both of them if you could. And the atomic blonde and Barbie. Yes. I mean, which excellent movie, by the way. Uh, well, both of them. Yes. yes. Um, 
So and yeah, I thought that they were both good movies. They were both distinct, yeah. specific filmmaker-driven visions encased within the protective tissue of tropes and or IP and or marquee filmmakers, an ensemble cast, all of these things that give you protection that will allow you to do something interesting with your movie if mm-hmm. you take that. Right, um, right. And, and I think the years since Dark Knight and people, you know, what people forget about the Dark Knight is how unusual that film still is in terms of, you know, a comic book superhero film. It's a Sydney lament city politics drama. And yeah. yes, there's lots of there's action and adventure, but the movie ends with three angry, devastated, sad men yelling at each other in a bombed out building with two guilt ridden heroes begging the villain for mercy. You didn't, mm-hmm. that's not something you've ever saw in a comic book movie beforehand or afterwards. Right. And the yeah, point right. of that is that if you're trying to emulate these very unique, specific pictures, you have to remember that they were successful because they were specific and unique and didn't necessarily adhere to every box on the formula checklist. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it was the juxtaposition of the two movies, like you said, one being so so heavy in its themes and you know and so dour uh in the filmmaking and then the other one being so light and fun and the fact that it'd be a six hour ordeal to sit through both of them and i say ordeal by uh, in a positive way in the sense that it's a challenge everybody likes challenges they want to go on tiktok and say i did the barbenheimer challenge and i survived my butt hurts but i'm happy i switched costumes in between i went and saw this one first you saw this one first it became a thing that, like you said, and it's weird that the whole Barbie, not that this isn't going to spoil anything, but they cross over from Barbie land into the real world. And this was the meme moment of crossing over into the real world. These memes bike their way. <laughs> yeah. The spaceship took the boat, came over into the real world and actually did some good for once instead of mm-hmm. goofing on stuff like Morbius and, you know, all the way back in Snakes on a Plane. The difference is there is positivity around this and a sense of community around this, that those things were missing. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, well, it just wasn't a matter of people on the internet being like, Hey, I wonder if we could get this silly shit to happen, you know, Mm -hmm. which is the case with maybe we could get them to put Morbius back in theaters for a laugh, you know, or, or, Oh, we could get Samuel Jackson to say this line that the internet wrote. In a movie, mm-hmm. but no one, no one wanted to see either of those movies. They just wanted to. I still think the mistake playing was not screening it for critics because it's a pretty good movie. I think it would have gotten a lot of three star reviews, and people mm-hmm. that otherwise were like, "I'm not spending movie theater money for a movie that's being sold as willfully bad," might have shown up. But I digress. Right. right. So, so talk about these mm-hmm. legs that we're seeing on Barbie, and not those legs, huh? The box huh. office legs we're seeing on Barbie. We're not sexist, huh? Is there huh? Uh, yeah, not those. Use them? But Scott is, of course, singing about box office legs when he's singing mm-hmm. that song. Yes. So this Monday number, I would it make twenty six million on Monday? Another twenty six on Tuesday. Yeah, it's it's Warner Brothers' biggest Monday and Tuesday ever, not accounting for inflation. Wow. The Monday number was like the, and I'm going off memory, so forgive me the eighth biggest Monday ever. And if you take away holiday Mondays, like Memorial Day, July 4th or July 5th or whatever, and you take away like 
Mondays that were in the middle of December when everybody was off school, like right. Star Wars, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Avatar right. This, Titanic Fat, yada, yada, yada. It's the second biggest Monday ever under those ever. variables behind Avengers Endgame. Wow. Which is coming off a $356 million opening weekend, not a $162 million opening weekend. Wow. Um, so, so... To me, that obviously shows that the legs on this for the second weekend are be are going to be gig- are going to be great. I mean, you look yeah. at the uh, just go onto an AMC app or Fandango or anywhere and look at what the seating charts are. I mean, here in New York, you can't find a Barbie ticket this weekend; it's sold out everywhere. So you would be buying tickets to Sound of Freedom and sneaking into Barbie. Wow! I mean, or. Or I guess they're just gonna they're gonna buy yeah that I mean you don't want those crowds I don't think to overlap too much. But, <laughs> um, well, you could go on the Angel Studios website. You can use one of their pay uh, pay forward codes and right. sneak in and watch Barbie because right. yes you're still doing your you're you're good right and you whatever just, then, good it does and then you just sit on the stairs in a Barbie screening room. Just mm-hmm. get get yourself in that building and you'll find Barbie somehow, but. You know, you have something called the hundred million dollars losers club, which is oh, when a God. movie makes so much money that in its second weekend it manages to drop a hundred million, but obviously because it's a giant hit and you know that drop had to happen. Look at you know, not to get into our numbers predictions, but you look at what Barbie's doing in these single days at the beginning of the week. I mean, I think Barbie could make a hundred million again in its second weekend. I mean, this is potentially wow. And it, well, yeah, and even so, yeah, I was thinking about that, but I didn't know if I wanted to go into that spiel. So thank you for doing it for me. Um, yeah, I mean, drop fifty percent drop is still eighty-one million dollars. Wow, wow. And yeah. that's a situation where, like, eighty-one would have been a terrific opening weekend for Barbie. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, exactly, exactly. It's it's a case yeah, where the I mean, second at this weekend. Point, it's mm-hmm. a question of does it become the biggest domestic grocer of the seat of the summer? Probably. Maybe by yeah. as soon as like a week from Friday, right? A week, let's right. say a week from Sunday, right? Oh, yeah. And how close does it get to, or does it surpass Super Mario Brothers? Yeah, because it's you know it's still far away from one point four billion dollars for now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's throw it out there. Do you think this ends up getting past Super Mario Brothers? Because I would say at this point, I definitely see that path. Um, because it There's does so have the summer competition for the next month. Um, what if that competition will really matter? I mean, obviously Haunted Mansion this weekend won't matter at all. You've got the Meg yeah. coming up and you got Turtles coming up. Turtles could put a yeah, little I'm, bit of a hurt on I, it, but. Yes, Turtles will open well because it's supposed to be very good. And it's a very mm-hmm. well-respected property. One that, you know, we've all said this before. One of the reasons Turtles does so well is because it gets recycled a lot. And every time there's a new version, it is aimed at the new generation of fans mm-hmm. with nostalgia, a distant second concern. Mm-hmm. So every version of Turtles is, you know, your version. However, you know, if you're 12 years old or 8 years old or whatever. Right, right. Um Right, they don't and age the turtles. G.I. Joe that has an ad, you know, a mate, you know, Rides of Cobra was you know 15, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, the Meg, I'm I'm still bullish on the Meg, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. but I'm a little less bullish than I was a week ago. Are you really? You think uh, the Barbenheimer train could could end up in the sea and hurt this Meg? 
uh, it's not going to help. Wow. Um, because any, you know, to whatever extent, if if Barbie is performing as well as it is, mm-hmm. Meg was never going to have IMAX screens because that's still Oppenheimer, but mm-hmm. it might have gotten some DL, or PLFs and Dolby's or whatever. Yeah. You have to imagine if Barbie's still making a gajillion dollars, they're just going to give those to Barbie. Wow. Um, but wow. Now, so, to be fair, yeah. if the Meg costs as much as the first one did, that's 150 million. The last one did three five hundred and thirty million, and mm-hmm. it's still begged to do around one hundred and forty in China. So there's room. There's room to play. Yo, yeah. Um. So, so I I do think Barbie is going to get past Mario. I mean, what what is your thought? And also, if it gets past Mario, I think worldwide, I think it could get to one point four. I mean, it, it just seems like. It's it is playing well internationally. It you know it it's not uh, playing as a domestic only play here, and it is potentially just going to be number one in the U.S. for like another two or three weeks. That very well could happen. You know th- this feels like Top Gun Maverick. Does this not feels speak like to- the Dark Knight? Yeah. yeah. Now, Scott, does this not speak to? the need desperate need that we always talk about. We beat this drum. I mean, you talk about, you've said stuff before. I mean, we've said this a million times PLFs and the need for more. Why are we talking about Barbie losing Dolby's and having no IMAXs? Why are we talking about the Meg not getting PLFs? Why do we have to talk about this? Why is there money being left on the table here? Theatrically, when you could just rip out some of these bad theaters and put in big screens and hike the ticket prices up because people are willing to pay for it. The idea that people think movies are too expensive is BS. They think the movie theaters they go to are too expensive because of what they get as a consumer. People love IMAX. They love Dolby. They love the nice chairs. They love good light and sound. It's not being given to them. That's why people say it's too expensive. So we need these PLFs. Why are we having this juggling act right now? I mean, MI, uh, MI7 is dying because they people were told to see it on the biggest screen possible. Now that's impossible. Talk about a Mission Impossible. <laughs> Seeing Mission Impossible 7 on a big screen is impossible. The um, right screen, the biggest you screen. You are correct. That being said, I think the success of Barbie somewhat counters that notion because, I mean, it pulled off the biggest opening weekend ever by a lot for a film that, A, didn't have IMAX screens, and Mm -hmm. B, wasn't offered in 3D. Yeah. As far Mm -hmm. as I know, it was not offered in 3D. I haven't seen any. Um, So to a certain extent, yeah. IMAX was huge for Oppenheimer. It was a huge money driver. Uh, It was like 20% of the global numbers, I think, maybe 25%. But Mm -hmm. you still had a movie that wasn't, that was only playing in some PLF screens sometimes a day Mm -hmm. that just did $162 million. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think the key for that is you need to make more event films of all shapes and sizes aimed at all differing demographics that don't necessarily scream. If you don't see this in IMAX, you might as well just wait for VOD. Right, yeah, right. That's true. That is true. If if we if you have a limited supply of something, you can't say you must see this on this thing because it will backfire. Although Oppenheimer, think- it, you know, it's sold out at the Lincoln Square uh, AMC uh, till mid August. 
Like I, um, I had to get a front row seat and I haven't seen it yet, but a front row seat to the IMAX 70 uh, millimeter, just because I was like, this is such a rare thing I need to do it. But you're really, right. You, you, you haven't see seen Oppenheimer yet? I have it. I, everything was sold. Yeah. I waited too long. I sat on it. I, I waited too yeah. long and everything was sold out. The nice thing about movie about that is there's no spoilers. Because mm-hmm. if you know your history, you know what happens. Yeah. Um, and that's actually one of the things I like about the movie is that it really expects you to know your history. It mm-hmm. gives zero ex- you know, time-specific exposition for you. Um, but anyway. So um, we have to know who Einstein is, who this guy is. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. I got to do some reading. That, that's Walter Matthau in that one movie with Meg Ryan that I didn't yeah. uh, Oh, IQ. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if that movie isn't playing on cable somewhere right now, it's it's doing it wrong because you yeah. really should I mean, try and the, sell IQ as the must see before you go see Oppenheimer. I agree with you in the sense that I think the best thing that theaters can do is to spend the money to make sure that, generally speaking, every theater, whether it's in downtown L.A. or you know, quote unquote, flyover country, Kentucky or whatever, looks at least as good, if not better than if you were to watch that film on a Blu-ray on your home setup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, does that necessarily mean them all have to be IMAX or PLF? Not necessarily. You just need to make sure that the average screen still looks as good as what I am accustomed to as a spoiled bastard living in, you know, Simi Valley, Thousand Oaks, Hollywood, Santa Monica, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right, right, um, right. But that being said, you know, does a film like Oppenheimer play better in IMAX? Yeah. But if it's a good movie, it plays on any screen. Mm-hmm. I've seen Avatar on an airplane. It still kicks ass. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen so- Gravity in IMAX. I've seen Gravity in regular 3D. I've seen Gravity on a television screen. It rocks every time. If right. the fundamentals are there, the movie works. But... Yeah. You didn't have to shell out 20 plus dollars to watch it on your TV. And that's what a movie theater is trying to get you to do. You're absolutely right. So looking at the success of Barbie, um, obviously the big talking point, the, the number one talking point coming out of it seems to be Greta Gerwig and that she has become in that tippy top echelon of star directors. You know, she is now... I would say a movie star director, the way Tarantino is, the way Cameron is, the way Jordan Peele is, and obviously the way Nolan is, and to some extent Scorsese is with the right movie. But um, with DiCaprio, with DiCaprio basically, yes. Yeah. If he's with DiCaprio, he's a movie star director. Um, if he's with just Harvey Keitel, not as much. Yeah. But, um, oh. you know. Where do you, where do you, now the rumors are, and I don't know if this is official, you can let us know that her next move is going to be to direct, uh, which in the wardrobe Narnia movies for Netflix and Clayton and I, in the last episode, we pled for that to not happen because we need Greta Gerwig in theaters at the box office. You were waving your finger. Scott set us straight. What, what have you heard? What is she doing next? Well, no, no, I've heard that too. And okay. I'll be honest, that's the kind of news that when I read that, my thought was, wow, Barbie must be terrible. Mm. Wow. Right, because that news <laughs> broke a week or so before Barbie came out. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I mean, if you want to make your pitch out there, you're obviously 
and even as big as the B.O. Boys are, you're a bigger name well, than the B.O. Boys. Hand, How do we get her to not direct a streaming movie? Instead, make a movie for theaters that could open again to $100 million in a couple of years. Well, I would say she can do whatever the hell she wants. Just make sure she gets paid up front by Netflix. But just do it quickly and come back to theaters soon. Mm-hmm. We, we need you back. I mean, the rumor is that it's a two-movie deal at Netflix, which is just, it's such a nightmare scenario for the box office to lose her to streaming coming off of this. I mean, um, is there, uh, what what, what are the, the chances for a Barbie 2? I mean, to me, it doesn't even seem well, like that's being talked about, which would be you, the opposite of- you Barbie, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, okay. And I, or I assume everyone listening to this has seen the film. One of the things I think this is another good lesson is that the film is not made in any way, shape, or form to set up a sequel. It's not. I mean, if anything, no. by the time the film ends, you're like, well, that is a complete story. Mm-hmm. And if they do a sequel, they're going to have to backtrack in a way that might not be all that satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or they'll and- do a, a spinoff Michael Sarah movie. Like, it, it doesn't feel like this sets up anything that would be a slam doink surefire hit because she might not be involved and and once you get into that territory then it starts to be return of jafar you know straight to dvd level i mean yes i'm sure warner brothers discovery will allow for a barbie sequel if one can be made um i do i do wonder what story choices you do with something like that does you know you have to have margot robbie back you almost have to have Greta Gerwig back, although I, I might have said do. the same thing when Tim Miller left Deadpool and Deadpool and Deadpool tools turned out fine. So mm-hmm. I think Greta Gerwig is an added value element. I don't know if she's a marquee director yet. Okay. And if she spends all her time in Netflix, we never find out. That's the problem. Barbie is such a giant IP. It was like we didn't know that. Nolan was a marquee director after even after the Dark Knight. It was Inception. It was like, oh shit, this guy can pack him in. Right, right. Though yeah. I think oh. with her, you have to look at the evidence of Little Women made over a hundred million domestic. Yes. They did two worldwide. Lady Bird did very well for a, a an indie picture. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm perfectly willing to give that notion the benefit of the doubt. I just right, hope right. we'll get some another test run soon enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think one of the things I was talking about in the summer of 2019 before COVID was the idea of directors becoming the new movie stars, mm. where you had these this emerging class of marquee directors like John M. Chu and James Wan, Jordan Peele, Rian Johnson, um, and the obvious ones like Wes Anderson, Tarantino. Right. But Peel was probably already a marquee director, let's be honest. Us had already come out at this point. Right. Um, and, you know, Nolan. And unfortunately, I think that got sidelined by COVID, obviously. You know, In the Heights kind of flopped. Malignant right. never really had a shot in L. Mm-hmm. And now even Aquaman is, is riding rough waters. But I do think that is something that if we start seeing a situation where the, mark, the director is a draw, especially within a property, then hopefully you're going to see a lot more quote-unquote filmmaker-driven franchise pictures, IP exploitations of this nature, where who is making it will be almost as important as what the IP is. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, the and Marvel movies have just been so factory factory produced since, you know, some of those real interesting ones like, you know, the James Gunn Guardians movie. That's why the Guardians third movie did so well is because it has an imprint of a individual as opposed to a cog in a machine. Right. And you have these. Marquee, oh, some of them, yeah. Yeah. But you have these marquee guys coming up, though, like the Daniels. I mean, they, you know. They could do something interesting. We don't know what the Safties are doing next. Uh, Ari Aster, I know Bo is afraid, was his big blank check. But who knows? The guy might want to do some sort of property. And that's they're all kind of blossoming in a way where I could see them be the new Hollywood. Along with right. Greta. And, you know, and Jordan, yeah. you know, and all that. They're like a younger group. And they're all making Mattel movies. They're more in, and they're... <laughs> yeah. Um, Slinky, get yeah, a Slinky I mean, movie. It's a taste of That's where you know Universal has sort of been pitching itself as the a home for marquee filmmakers who want a safe place to make a non-franchise picture. They've got mm -hmm. the Daniels. They had M Night Shyamalan for a while before they traded them at the bridge at midnight for uh, James Wan. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, they've got you know they have Michael Bay. They even though Ambulance didn't do all that well. I guess it did well enough on PVOD. They're still in the Platinum Dunes business. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And this, you know, Oppenheimer was this huge show of force. Um, um, you know, I, I, there's a scientific term that I'm, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's showing up that they can do this. Look at right. us at Universal. We sold a three hour R rated action-free drama about white guys in suits talking in offices for three hours and it's going to do 500 million worldwide right 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 and do you think warner brothers because warner brothers used to be that you know they were the home of of kubrick and clint eastwood and ben affleck for a while and nolan and it seems like since the uh, streaming era, since COVID, they they really fell off of that. They let uh, uh, they let Nolan go, but this movie was an old fashioned, in a way, Warner Brothers hit. It was a star. Two thousand eighteen era. Yeah, right. It, and and it, do you? It was greenlit by Toby Emmerich, who was no well, longer there. Well, so then do you think this changes anything at Warner Brothers? Does Zasloff start saying, you know what? I'm in the auteur business. I, I want to forget this DC stuff. I want to give big checks to great directors and let them make their passion projects. And we're going to make those into hits. Or is Barbie looked at as, wow, we made a movie because of internet memes. And that's what we need to do is to make internet meme movies. Both of those are equally possible. Yeah. And Warner Brothers, two things about Warner Brothers. They have a long history of turning less than conventional big movies into unmitigated blockbusters, going mm -hmm. back at least to Magic Mike in 2012, an mm -hmm. R-rated economic mobility drama about male strippers that opened to $39 million in the summer of 2012. And you've got Gravity, the Lego movie, American Sniper, It, the Joker, mm -hmm. Dune. Elvis and now Barbie. Yep. This is what they do when they're at their best. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think that they are just going to, you know, now that to a certain extent, I mean, yes, we're still in the COVID era. I don't want to pretend otherwise, but that 
disruption has ceased to a certain extent, that they're going to eventually get back to what they were doing in 2008, which is not, excuse me, new 2018, when they were just knocking out one and dones like crazy. Ready Player yeah. One, Crazy Rich Asians, A Star is Born, Ocean's Eight. They had such a great 2018 that Aquaman doing a billion dollars was almost beside the point. Wow. It's true. And getting back to DC, and I felt this way since 2016, the ups and downs of DC has done more harm to Warner Brothers than good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the discourse around the DC universe has been so chaotic and so all-consuming and often dictated by rumor-mongering and fear-mongering and, quite frankly, people with very specific agendas. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm maybe liked the first couple DC films and wanted every other DC film to be kind of like those DC films. If you mm -hmm. get what I'm saying here. Yeah. We, we um, won't say, we won't say his name. It's <laughs> more dangerous than, than talking about sound of freedom. Mm -hmm. oh, and I don't blame him. I blame the acolytes, but anyway, yes, yes. Um, but, and, and if you look at the DC franchises in the last several years that aren't DC related, MonsterVerse worked. The Conjuring Universe is the first fully functioning, entirely successful cinematic universe after the Avengers that actually worked. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, Fantastic Beasts, the first two were relatively successful. The problem is the second one was terrible. And at the end of the day, I can't give them that much grief for listening to J.K. Rowling, the woman that up until a point was on pretty solid ground. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth remembering that she only started going off the deep end in 2020. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, right. so did Ezra Miller for that matter. Um, so in 2014, it was a great idea to cast this quirky, gender fluid, queer, indie, you know, Jewish, goofy, oddball movie star as Barry Allen. That was progressive casting. Right. Yeah. It just some things don't work out four years later. Yeah. Well, for different reasons. Well, yeah. But so um, Warner Brothers definitely has a chance to take a right lesson from this Barbie movie and stick to yeah. something that worked, which is big one-off movies with visionary filmmakers. Now, I'm going to throw this out here. We talked about Greta Gerwig possibly being pulled into the streaming abyss. And I, you know, not to be conspiracy theorist here, but... I think there is something to a place like Netflix looking to spend money just to take away big stars from the box office. Because let's face it, Netflix yeah. wants movie theaters dead. But mm -hmm. but in a in a way that's not just, oh, we want to make their movies here. It is more about we want their movies to not exist in theaters because we want theaters to close down. So when Netflix takes a Bradley right. Cooper away you know star is born happens and what is bradley cooper's follow-up a netflix movie so yeah. this guy who made a box office smash that was a again a drama that made what almost 200 million domestic oh 425 my worldwide 425 worldwide and barbie's gonna make a billion dollars in its sleep and then netflix comes in and takes them away forever from theatrical so I mean, you're out you know, there, you're I reporting. Next, what I would do next is I would find a, a surprise theatrical crowd pleaser 
like maybe an ensemble murder mystery of some kind that uh-huh. might be spawning a new theatrical franchise. Wow. And I would offer the filmmakers a half a billion dollars to make the next two films for Netflix. Wow. What, what imagine, imagine a company so devilish as to do what you outlined. Surely no company would be that evil as to do that, yeah, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at that's right. Ryan Johnson and knives out as well. I do think streamers are doing things like that, taking away our Gerwigs, our Ryan Johnson's, our Bradley Cooper's to try and kill off theatrical. That is, that is, uh, again, I don't well, want to be a conspiracy theorist here. Well, and that's my big fear about the strike is that, you know, the, the streamers and the studios are never going to come to agreement because they have differing goals. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What, what is, yeah, what is your, uh, what are you hearing right now? Because obviously you are not just the a box office pundit. But. I'm not, you know, I'm hearing the same stuff you're hearing. Nobody knows when it's going to end. There's mm-hmm. no real sense of what a compromise looks like, when negotiations will begin again. It's not good. Yeah. And well, this is, well, you know, and part of it is because I would argue that the people at the very top, the Zaslofs, and the Igers. The Igers to a certain extent. They're so above the fray that the little details in terms of let's make movies and TV shows are almost beside the point in their overall priorities that I don't know if that's something that they compromise on. Right, right. Like even when movie studios were owned by a gasoline company, it did kind of feel like the heads of the gasoline company were closer to the movie business than the the owners of studios now. You know, at least like the people who owned a gasoline company seem like they went to the movies. I, I, I legitimately don't feel like the the heads of these companies on the studio's behalf have been in a movie theater in the last 10 years. Yeah. It, it, and, they, and they feel so removed. I, I, so, again, I, I have no real optimism. And I've got a hundred doomsday scenarios in my head. You know, oh boy. Is this all, you know, is, is, are they going to wait for the studios to just get demolished because they have nothing to release? And then Netflix is going to agree to the inflated terms, knowing that the other studios can't afford that. Jeez. I don't know. Jeez. I, but or is this just uh, put theaters on the rocks again, knowing that they go under Netflix wins. I don't know. Well, I, I think that's, I do think that is a real thing that's happening here is that your Netflix's Amazon's apples who are for some reason at the negotiation, the heads of negotiating on behalf of the theatrical movie industry that you've got a hardware companies and a company that sells toilet paper are negotiating the future I mean, of the I mean, movie Netflix business. Only joined in 2021. Right. So, Right now, you know, and you could tell us if any of these triggers have been pulled, but the word is that you might start to see big end of year movies moving out of 2023 into 24 because you can't have actors promoting the movies. So far, everyone I've spoken to, and this can change at any moment, Mm -hmm. or they might just be lying to me and whatever, that's their job. So far, they see full speed ahead. There may be some small films that get delayed like challengers because you need Zendaya to market that. 
Right. I would not be shocked if some of the formerly Fox pictures, like Death and Haunting in Venice or uh, The Creator, get moved. Oh, and, my God. You know, uh, uh, or things got moved in December, but that makes sense. That's still getting a Venice premiere, and that's a slot that Jonathan Majors Magazine Dreams is supposed to open on. So right. if that's it ends up getting tossed, well, you've got a movie right there. So no arm, no foul. Right. But – so far, we have not heard any concrete word about, you know, Dune or Aquaman or the Marvels or, mm -hmm. you know, big, big movies like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, with the Marvels, it does feel like just just get it off the slate and be done with it. Yeah. I mean, that... they, they put out a new trailer. They put out a new trailer for Haunting in Venice. Mm -hmm. Lionsgate put out a new posters for The Expendables 4. We're getting a Saw 10 trailer on Saturday. Um, wow. And, you know, Sony has a lot of star-driven pictures. I think it's going to be a challenge for them. You know, okay. Uh, Craven the Hunter, Equalizer 3, uh, anyone but anybody but you. Um, a few others that I'm probably forgetting. I've heard Equalizer Logan, 3. I've heard Equalizer 3, Denzel, has already filmed promotion for it before. And basically, yeah. he said that's all he was going to do anyway. You you mm -hmm. weren't going to get Denzel on Hot Ones anyway, so then you're not really yeah. losing and much by him thing. being on As track. far as flower, Killers of the Flower Moon, DiCaprio doesn't do a ton of press anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, that, to me, feels like a big one. Do you feel like that is a sure thing, 2023 release, yeah. or is there any? No. Why I so? I think it stays. I'm sorry. I think it stays. Okay. Got it. Got the it. The only... And again, I do. This is not inside baseball because if it was, I wouldn't be talking about it because I want to get anyone right. in trouble. Right. But they know DiCaprio is not going to do a lot of publicity. The film's already had a glossy, critically acclaimed premiere. Mm -hmm. There is interview footage that exists that they did in the festival debut. There's mm -hmm. already two trailers. Right. Might as well go for it. Right. And with that one, you could have Scorsese as a DGA yes. member do all the promotion. As, as long as yeah. Scorsese is willing to do promotion on behalf of the picture. Right. And uh, yeah, I imagine he would just because at every stop, he'll say like what Chris Nolan is doing, where he was out front with Oppenheimer all week. But every right. stop, he said, unity, unity, I support the strikers. Right, right. And, and, and who's going to who's going to call Scorsese a scab? Let yeah, let them exactly. call him a scab to his face. They wind up with a baseball bat <laughs> on their head. So let's be honest. I think the big one that people are fearing He's such a is, man. is Dune <laughs> 2, right? Dune 2 is the one people are worried is going to move. Here's the thing with Dune 2. Maybe because that's got a big ensemble cast that Warner Brothers is banking on. But, A, that film is as much legendary as Warner Brothers. So mm -hmm. they have to come to an agreement. Mm. Yeah. And B... They now have six weeks of exclusivity in IMAX. Yeah. If they move, they'd be lucky to get more than two. It's so true. And that's a movie that I do think the filmmakers felt a little screwed with when it was released. And then it got yeah. the day and date because it did so well, even in high COVID times, that they were thinking, okay, if this movie gets released unimpeded by anything... It is going to be a blockbuster. It's going to be huge. And if there's a SAG strike and the actors can't go on talk shows because there are no talk shows and they're not allowed to say anything, they could feel screwed once again. And I think that's where Dune 2 is such an outlier for all these other movies is that the first part, yeah. the, the filmmakers felt like they got screwed and they don't want to get screwed twice. Yeah. And again, it's it's it's. My gut says so far, no, but as we saw with COVID, it's all speculation until somebody pulls the trigger. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one reason you could see some movies what, move. What? Oh, go for it, Scott. Listen, I apologize. One thing we should note is that Warner Brothers' big four year-end titles have a lot of overlap between them. You have mm. two live action. You have Wonka, Aquaman 2, Dune 2, and The Color Purple. In those four films, you have two Shyamalan films. You've got two live action musicals, and you have two big budget action adventure, fantastical, far off world adventure films. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. one of those might get moved just to spread out a little bit. Right, right, a- and the fact that because of the 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 simultaneous strikes, production is totally shut down, and unfortunately, we're almost looking at a 2020, 2021 situation next year where who knows what's going to be ready to go out. So, I I mean, I can't believe where Barbenheimer weekend should be a nonstop. This should be the box office Mardi Gras. We're just partying our brains out all all week. We're Mm -hmm. in the streets falling down drunk and happy. But here we are talking about 2024 might not have that many movies that are able to come out. So you might see a color purple or a Wonka move to next year just to fill a May slot. Yeah, and if one of those is the ones that moves, one of the Warner Brothers pictures, even that I don't think it's time to panic yet because, again, there's a good... Warner Brothers, if they can, would like to have a big twenty movie in 2024 in case something doesn't get finished. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I would almost move Color Purple only because it's it's an awards sort of film. And I think, you know, you ride this Barbie train because, yeah. uh, th- you know, get Gosling up there for Best Supporting Actor for this movie and, and get as many people as you can. Get America up there for Best Supporting Actress. Yep. Push this one this year because it's going to be so different than Killers of the Flower Moon, which is going to be a behemoth, yeah. which will probably get nominated for everything and win nothing. But still, it's going to be a big, huge behemoth. And I think that's the one you move. Get Color Purple, the prestige one, move that. You cannot move Aquaman again. I know they're doing reshoots and, and adding different Batman. Just get it out there. Whatever. You have to get this movie out. You have to. I am tired of waiting. It's Scott, almost how- a mutant situation at this point. Yeah. How how many Batmans have you heard are in Aquaman? Because I've heard that we're now up to eleven Batman. I've heard there's zero Batman. Zero Batmans. I I uh, mean I've and again I'm I'm reading, I'm reading the same news you are in that sense. Um, um. So we'll see. We're, I mean, I just want to find out how many Batman are in this Aquaman movie. Just let us we know. Just gotta know. I yeah. mean, we gotta know. Look, it, it's not my call, but if I'm Warner Brothers, I move Blue Beetle to next year. Oh my God! Give that time to breathe. Let the star do publicity, and you have Aquaman as the finale of the old DC, and then you have sort of Blue Beetle as the curtain raiser of the new DC, and then Superman Legacy opens and kicks everything off. Yeah, I mean, where, where, where are you right now on just superhero movies as a? uh, I mean, to me, they feel like listen. Obviously, they need to be special. In a way that they didn't five years ago. Right. They need to be Um, special or they need to. It's almost like think back to the 90s. They need to be special, you know, where you have your Batman movies or then the X-Men movies, which I guess maybe that was 2000s. Or they need to be really small. You know, like Blue Beetle should be Spawn or, or, you know, that like I think that is a thing we've lost now is. Not all these movies are going to make enough to justify a hundred 
150 million dollar budgets blue beetle and again like you say not to go to this now that you're finally having more diverse leads for these movies not that those should be the cases where it's low budget but a property like blue beetle honestly should just be something that is a spawn 1990s level movie where you could make 90 million dollars domestic michael jai white right right and it it and i i talk about this a lot because it pisses me off but in the mid 90s the comic book superhero movie or even the superhero movie in general was basically held up by non-white leads films like mm-hmm. the mask of zorro men in black black mask um spawn blade obviously right and then blade. x-men and spider-man said oh these can be a-level deadpools fuck this we're taking them away and giving them back to white people right and, and then, then it's they james morrison time 20 years right and only right. now that the comic book superhero movie is no longer an automatic event are we seeing a real effort at diversification right do you do you think it's not to me? It's and I think Clayton would back this up. But right in this moment, it doesn't even feel like they're not an event. It does feel like the public, other than movies like Guardians or Batman, where they already love the property, have turned on superhero movies where they don't just feel not special; they feel deeply uncool. You know, I mean, to me, Blue yeah. Beetle is opening up in a storm of we actively dislike this stuff now. I think you are right. That's what we have seen is that the comic book superhero movie is now operating in a place where at best it's trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at worst it's prove it. Yeah. And well, there's, yeah, there's two big things that are really signaling the downfall of superhero movies and superhero media in general. It, we're not the streamo boys, huh? But those secret invasion ratings on disney plus are terrible it's the second worst yeah second worst uh next to miss marvel and they're going so far as to put the first three episodes on hulu because this show is supposed to set up the marvels and so people are not watching this show only the hardcores are going to understand marvels and they need that movie to be a hit well, I'm I mean, pretty sure ninety percent of the Marvels will be. I mean, they're not. I think I'm guessing you're not going to have to watch Miss Marvel. You're not really going to have to watch Secret Invasion to in, understand and enjoy the Marvels. Well, um, the the but the other thing that is huge is the man who started this whole renaissance. You can point to Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr. is going around talking about Oppenheimer and saying he's happy to be back in real movies. He's happy to be doing actual acting. He is making these movies that he did for what? 15 years seem uncool. He's saying Oppenheimer is cool and that stuff was lame and ha ha ha. I got my paycheck, but look at me now I'm doing what I actually want to be doing. And like, that, he's a, yeah, he's the biggest he is the he's the one guy that you cannot replace when it comes to you can replace who is Batman. You can replace who is Spider-Man. We've seen that they will not be able to replace Iron Man. There's not going to be another Iron Man. Maybe, you know, 20, 35 years from now, of course, there'll be another Iron Man. But for this cycle of superhero movies, he is the only guy that is not able to be replaced. Maybe Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool and, you know, 
And he's saying that these are lame and people are going to believe him. Yeah. I mean, do it, you disagree? I think that was, I do, I do not disagree. I think part of the issue is that the Marvel cinematic universe became so mainstream that it kind of became like stuff that's like wholesome and safe. Like the like stuff American that Idol. mom and dad say is okay for you to watch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. You know, the real cool people go to John Wick and the yes. real cool people go to, and I know this is a Marvel movie, so forgive me, across the Spider-Verse or Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and again, right. I mean, we should remember the biggest movie of the summer right now is still Guardians of the Galaxy part three and yes. the biggest domestic earner right now is still across the spider verse. Right. But I think we're in a situation where comic book, even Marvel movies are going to be more execution dependent than they've ever, than they've been in a very long time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So just want to go back to Barbie, maybe to, to bring this home and look at some of the uh, people coming out of it and what this could do for them. So the, the two big stars of this movie, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, were stars in that position, I think, going into this where they were very well liked. They were in hits. You know, Margot Robbie was in the Billion Dollar Suicide Squad movie and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and movies like that. And Ryan Gosling was a headliner of La La Land, you know, him and Emma Stone. And he had Blade Runner, which was not quite a hit. But... Do you, how much do you think this raises their profile? You know, modern movie stardom is not what it was in the eighties or nineties, but can this level them up where you do get Ryan Gosling dramas or Margot Robbie romantic comedies or vice versa that could do business because they are the stars of them and they're more popular now coming off of Barbie, or is it basically find them another IP and hope that it clicks again. Um, I would lean more toward find another IP, which I think they're mm-hmm. already doing. Because I think one of the first DeLuca movies at Warner Brothers is going to be an Ocean's something something with the two of them. Oh, okay. Um, that being said, I mean, if someone had the, you know, no shit Sherlock to make a $35 million romantic comedy starring Robbie and Gosling, yeah, I yes. think that would make money. Yes. But yes. Know, un- unfortunately... And this goes back to the whole what happened to the movie star, which is that one big problem is that they stopped making the kind of movies that made movie stars. They spent right. 20 years trying to turn every vaguely handsome white guy into the next Tom Cruise. And they kept casting those white guys in legend over and over and over again. Right, right. You know, right. if you don't have risky business or days of or cocktail or a few good mm. men, you're not going to get your next Tom Cruise. Right, right. So, yeah, Gosling and Robbie are both in that spot where there's, yeah, there's there's not a lot of the firms that they could star in and make $120 million and, you know, be the draw for the movie. I'm going to throw someone out there, Will Ferrell. Now, Will Ferrell, I think, is a star that had been lost at sea for several years now, you know, going back to the house whenever that opened or even a little before that. and big studio comedies where the comedy actor is the draw. Those seem to have really been bottomed out for a while now, but does being in the Barbie movie do anything for Will Ferrell? Do you think, is this a, Oh, oh we're glad to see you alive. Okay. Talk um, about that. 
just because he's a he's barely in it. Mm-hmm. B he's basically playing a, a variation on the character he played in the Lego movie and the character he played in Bewitched, mm. uh, which is a film that nobody remembers because it wasn't very good. Um, and yeah, he's, 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 his presence is not necessary for the film's success. In fact, mm-hmm. that whole subplot, you could have cut most of that out and been yes. fine. Yes. And, we both know, agree. Who cares? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple good jokes from it. So whatever, no harm. Um, but, and again, I think the problem with the live action comedy and studios are certainly trying this year, plus their arts, is that over the last several years, not just Marvel, but Marvel was a big part of this. Every big franchise IP started offering comedy as an added value element mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a way to make it palpable to the masses. So mm-hmm. if you wanted something funny, even just you know this spring, you could give, go to Shazam two, you could go to Super Mario Brothers, you could go to Scream six, you could go to Ant Man the Wasp Quantumania. So you didn't need to see Mafia Mom or a Renfeld. So you didn't need to see Mafia Mama to get your big screen chuckles. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. And that's been a problem for a while. Right, right. No hard feelings. I think when you were last on, that was still a few weeks from coming out. Now that that movie has it did okay. Did okay. Do do you think it yeah. helps the future of that type of movie, or it's more of a sign of, you know what? Even with Jennifer Lawrence, this was the ceiling. And uh, I mean, do I think it maybe in a way hurts the ability for that type of movie to get made because it didn't break out. It did fine, but it didn't break out. Um, I'm leading toward your point of view mm-hmm. with the caveat that it might do spectacular on PVOD. Mm-hmm. And the more money, you know, the more money it makes on in theaters and on PVOD, the more money it makes down the line. So there's still, long-term value in putting that kind of film like that in theaters. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll do huge on Netflix for 10 days. Yeah. Right, right. Um, where where people are. That was a film that was hurt by the writer's strike because Jen Lawrence couldn't go on talk shows and plug it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She got a hot ones in, but she probably would have done a couple of weeks even after the opening yeah. of going yeah. on the chat shows. Yeah. She would have done. So a you're spot saying. On you're saying the episode of the rewatchables where uh, Bill Simmons forgot to press record did not add any sort of money to the coffers of no, uh, no hard feelings. Yeah. And I don't it's know to what extent it ever does. And that's always been one of my ongoing existential questions. We see so little cross media crossover. I mean, for example, mm-hmm. the example I always give is that in October of 2016, David S. Pumpkin basically takes over the internet for a week. Um, mm-hmm. Inferno is still a flop. Right. You know, mm-hmm. right, right. In 2021, Olivia Rodrigo becomes the biggest pop star since Taylor Swift. The ratings for High School Musical, the musical, the series don't really move much. Right. Yeah. So, right. you know, having huge success over here doesn't necessarily translate to huge success over here and viral promotion doesn't necessarily help the thing that you are promoting. Right. Well, right. I mean, just and not to harp on this, but look at Burt Kreischer's The Machine. That Burt Kreischer, yeah. he's on podcasts that millions and millions of people listen to. I mean, more people probably listen to the episode of the Joe Rogan show he was interviewed on than saw his movie by multiples. 
And th- there just was no crossover from that podcast listening audience to the film going audience. Yeah. So whoa, whoa, whoa. Scott, looking ahead, looking ahead uh, to let's say August, you've talked about the Meg. You think mutant mania has a chance. I mean, do you think mutant mania, the Ninja Turtles movie maybe is going to have a better chance because of how well Barbie did. And it could kind of ride that, you know, yes. toy nostalgia. Okay. Yeah. But also and Spidey I, cartoon. I think, yeah. It's all, yeah. It's also, you know, every, almost every single theatrical screening of across the spider verse had the TMNT preview on it. Mm. And right. it's everyone. I mean, I have not seen it yet. I'm not going to till it opens. Cause you know, I'm out of town, but, and I think the review embargo is yet to drop, but everybody I've talked to has said, it's very good. Mm-hmm. And the best compliment I can give it is they had clips in CinemaCon and I laughed out loud. I will say this, you know, we had a friend and guest uh, on this show, Jeff Bach, Exhibitor Relations Co. He went to CinemaCon and he came out of that saying that The Flash was going to be one of the biggest movies ever, was going to make a billion dollars. And obviously The Flash came out to be what The Flash was. And our theory is they were just pumping... And well, you were saying <laughs> Scott Mendelson raised his hand. He was saying otherwise. So our thought was they were pumping some kind of noxious gas, maybe pumping pure hype into the events, into the vents at CinemaCon. So I just hope that your TMNT laughter was not also caused by the, you know, the gas that they were pumping in the vents at CinemaCon. You well, may be I, impervious I to it. General though. area, and it didn't work on the flash. So okay. Um, great. Well, yeah, no, you, I mean, you yeah, it's, it's an eighty million dollar picture. If it opens at twenty five and legs out to seventy, they're they're fine. But it could do mm-hmm. a lot better than that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stay on here, and I was high on this at the beginning of the summer. And Clayton, you were you were not on board with me there. I think this is going to open for perform. I could see this Turtles movie opening yeah. at like forty. It, I, it I think it's going to be big. Good, and yeah. it's so. It's so much more helpful when you're marketing a, a an IP film where part of your pitch is this is going to be a good movie, mm-hmm. right? It's right. Not just going right. to be oh, it's another fast film. It's another uh, indie fuck. movie, Indiana Jones, indie another movie. Transformers. And, yeah, yeah, no, another Transformers, or even to a certain extent, another Mission Impossible. I love right. the first yeah. trailer to MI7. I started to worry after the sev- second trailer, and I was I was right. Yeah. I mean, oh. listen, we'll, we'll, we could say it now. The last time you were on, once we stopped recording, we were off air, and it's just three guys shooting the shit. The first thing you said to us, Scott, was, listen, I got to tell you something. I saw Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, and it's not good. And you told us this a few, you know, a few when you were last on in June. And our faces went white because at that point, Dead Reckoning was supposed to be the savior of the box office. Mm-hmm. We didn't know Barbie would be Barbie. And when you t- dropped that news on us, we were scared. But mm-hmm. thank God for Barbie. So, and Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer. And Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer did it. What you, what you guys think of Dead Reckoning? And you're allowed to like it. Most people did. I, I did like it. I saw it in France on a vacation and saw it dubbed in French without any subtitles. <laughs> And I really enjoyed it. It played. Maybe that was the way to see it. Maybe at CinemaCon, if you had There's seen it. There's a lot it. of exposition for that movie. 
There is, but at that point, you just look at the faces, and I'm like, oh, Tom Cruise looks mad here, but Vanessa Kirby looks intrigued, and you know, then you just zone out also. And I thought a lot of the dialogue was terrible, so maybe that helped. I think it did. I didn't hear anything, and the sort of French accents were uh, was very soothing. Yeah, it was beautiful. And then it's you get the train sequence, and you get all that, and yeah. that plays no matter what language. So I liked it. Well, I'll tell you something, Scott, that's damning. I didn't even see it. Yeah, that's Holy damning. Shit. Because yeah. it wasn't even in, I, I did not get around to seeing it in a PLF. And I thought to myself, if I'm not seeing it in a PLF, then I'll just wait till it goes on max. Oh, no. Well, on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, so, Scott. We got to, I know we've been on here for a while, but we got to just quickly touch on because this is our weekend preview episode. Haunted Mansion is coming out this weekend. So this is Disney making another version of a, of a movie based on their amusement park property. Of course, they made one in the 90s with Eddie Murphy. 2000. Wow, that far in. I guess, yeah, if, if his his nutty professor was mid-90s, yeah. So it's still in that yeah. family daddy daycare run. And that movie did fine, right? The, the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion? Yeah, I don't I think, think it was... 185 worldwide on a... Okay. I don't know what the budget was. You mean I'll look it up? Sorry, so where... I mean, this one feels like the just the turd of all turds this weekend i don't even know if it's good or not but it seems like it wouldn't matter because it has no buzz barbie is going to take Um, all the buzz the reviews are mixed negative basically 50 50 right now yeah it currently cost like 150 million dollars which oh my god to be fair the money's allegedly on the screen so okay i can say that um and but no it has no buzz it has no this is Iger's legacy, which is that he was wonderful in acquisition, but he mm. was not successful at making new, theatrically specific, new to cinema franchises. And now mm. that he's run out of, you know, now that he's run out in terms of the big remakes, the Marvel movies, the Star Wars stuff, what do you got left? Now, right. now the fact that they have utterly failed to make new stuff after national treasure and Pirates of the Caribbean 20 years ago, they're in trouble. Right. Right. So how low do you think this goes? What do you, what are you seeing as the opening number for this? I still think, I mean, I want to be optimistic and say 25. Oh, you do think it could go that high. Interesting. Interesting. So I mean, the, the original opened 2003. It, had a $90 million production budget. It opened at $24.2 yes. million on its mm-hmm. way to 75 domestic. So you're saying that the new one with a budget that's a, just a little bit bigger. I mean, it's a lot bigger, but like a little, bit pe- you know, a little bit bigger. But I mean, that was 20 years ago. That movie was made for 90. That seems ridiculous at the time. Um, it's going to make what one million dollars more than the original did that's pretty well, and bad the, and that being you know hopeful 30 yeah. i think is a cap but you know hope prince eternal mm-hmm. um now now the thought with to this be fair, 
you know, for what this is worth anymore, and who's to say it means a damn thing, and you know, but it'll be on you know, ninety days. It'll be on Disney Plus just in time for Halloween. So yeah, yeah. I I wonder. I definitely could see this falling into the teens. You know, honestly, maybe even like twelve or thirteen, because there's no star. You know, there's names, but Tiffany Haddish really never got to that next level as a bona fide movie star. Unfortunately, she just came along at the wrong time. The Keith Stanfield, great actor, but not a star, so on and so forth. So I don't know. I feel like Barbie, especially in that same space, is so all encompassing that I'm going to go as low as like maybe 14. This opens. Well, before. If we're talking about so demo wise, Barbie, one of the demos that Barbie didn't do as well in was with the black community. And that's why people are thinking Haunted Mansion might be a family choice mm-hmm. for black, Hispanic families and things like that. But my True. thought with that is that Barbie is such a monolith and such a big movie mm-hmm. that those families are going to think. I got to see this Barbie movie because everybody's talking about this Barbie movie. I have to see what's going on with it. And I think that is going to kill haunted mansion. I do think Mm -hmm. that there's going to be less people going to see haunted mansion than people think. And it does look tired. I mean, it looks beat and tired and the same kind of slop that Disney's been trying to feed us for years now. And that's why I just think people are going to reject it. So I I don't, I'm not going to go 14, but I think this thing probably makes 19. Okay. And here 20. Here's an interesting thing about this matchup is that we know Barbie features uh, Rhea Perlman is in the Barbie movie in a bit, in a, in a featured role and haunted mansion. One of its stars is Danny DeVito. Mm -hmm. So I, I I don't know what the surprise Oscar nomination one of them wow wow interesting i mean that is going to be i know they are sort of divorced but also sleep in the same bed i I know they have some kind of situation like that where they will never divorce they are never divorced but they will never divorce i mean this weekend could be the thing that causes that divorce they finally may have to change their tune after too big right after rio perlman's movie makes 10 times what Danny DeVito's does at the weekend box office. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you stay in the same room after that. So but he had his run to be honest. He had his run, you know, he had I think his he's run open and it's time for her. That, run. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you're talking about DeVito, I mean, that's part of the problem is with the whole, we have no new movie stars is that the industry is counting on people that were in their prime 30, 20, 30, 40 years ago to still pretend like it's the third, you know, eighties, nineties and two thousands. Right. I mean, right. Owen Wilson, I mean, Haunted Mansion. I mean, Owen yeah. Wilson is, I mean, the, he's the a guy. Was 1999. Yes. Right. It's, yeah. It's Will crazy. this follow suit with him getting decapitated at the end of the third act? Probably not, but we can hope. We can hope. When, when we were uh, in the 90s, you'd have a movie like A Grumpy Old Men where the novelty was, look, we've got stars from a long time ago who were the stars of this movie. Now that sort of the idea of every movie. Every movie yeah. is a version of our Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon teaming up because it's just here's stars from 30 years ago on top, but it's not a novelty anymore. So they're we'll still see. pretending not... to be in their quote unquote prom. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I think a view to a kill is now the standard operating formula. Right. 
So I think we all agree that it's going to be, you know, the order is pretty much going to be Barbie Oppenheimer. I get, well, here's, here's where I, or if we're, if we're predicting our top five for this weekend, we all agree it's going to be Barbie one Oppenheimer two. I think Barbie could still make 90 plus million, maybe make a hundred million this weekend. I think the mm-hmm. hold could be that yep. strong, but number three is where things can get interesting because does anyone here think Sound of Freedom could actually outgross Haunted Mansion in the three-day this weekend? Uh, sure. I mean, if it it's, does another $15 million and Haunted Mansion just plays worst-case scenario, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's I mean, where I'm going. And we know for sure that it's going to beat Mission Impossible. Yeah, yes. I, I yeah. mean, I think Mission Impossible gets beat by Sound of Freedom, definitely. So it's whether or not Haunted Mansion can do anything. Yeah. And that's the yeah. only thing that'll keep uh, uh, Sound of Freedom out of number three. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's pretty clear Mission Impossible is going to fall to number five this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then the huge descent begins. Yeah, it it's... Uh, last thing, Scott, that I'll throw out there as I'm looking at the current movies out there, give us your take on Pixar's Elemental and the run. Did it, you know, Clayton disagrees when I say this movie in some ways redeemed itself, but where are you at with this run and what Elemental could mean for the future of Pixar? Is it not as bleak as we would have thought after that first Well, it, you're right. It is not as bleak as we thought. I mean, when a film does... And it's, it looks like it's going to top 150 by the end from a $29 million opening. That's spectacular. Now, does that mean it's actually a hit in the sense that it will make money in theatrical alone? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. It's going to squeak to 400 on a 200 budget. But this could be a situation where it takes one for the team in terms of reacclimating of viewers to seeing Pixar films in theaters. Thank you very mm. much. Mm-hmm. After three years of otherwise. Right. Um, right. It is good. The word of mouth was exceptional. That was one reason why it's leggy. Mm-hmm. So even if Elemental by itself is not a hit, I'm a lot more optimistic for Elio than I was a month ago. Yes. Which is yes. the next Pixar movie comes yep. out in March, has a very specific and simple premise, too. It's about a boy that gets abducted by aliens who accidentally think he's the leader of the human race, and he has to pull it, you know, a, a encounter at Star a far point type trial for humanity or something. Oh, love it. I love it. Nice and simple. Yeah. No, you yeah. don't love it. Stop. Love don't it. say you love I it. Love it. Pat, I love it. I love it. it. I'm Pat doesn't I'm, love it. He's, he's kissing up you, Scott. You can tell. I love it. You can see right I through love it. it. I love it. I love it. Do that to you. Anyway, I love it. So is it actually a hit? No. It's still a, what we used to call in the 90s, if you read Entertainment Weekly, a disappointment in relation to cost, mm-hmm. which is also mm-hmm. the case for something like Fast X, Indiana Jones 5, The Flash, Mission Impossible 7, Transformers 7, films that are making decent amount, A Little Mermaid, films that are making decent amounts of money for theaters but are still not earning enough to justify their exorbitant budgets. Right. Nice. So Scott, thank you so much for being on before uh, we go. Where can our listeners find you? Of course, we've gotten the show is bigger than ever. We've gotten an influx of new listeners the last few months. So we're excited to now 
transfer our new listeners over to the work of the great Scott Mendelson. Where could they find you? I'm still at the rap.com. Uh, I'm at, at Scott Mendelson on Twitter and technically I'm on blue sky. Cause is anyone on blue sky? It's so lonely over there. Well, they will be now after this. So, so follow. And of course, yeah, follow Scott Mendelson on Twitter. Just a essential read every single tweet. So, of course, the B.O. Boys give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. That has been huge. These, these five-star reviews really help new listeners find us. Email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Love getting your emails. We cannot get through any on this episode because it's just been too jam-packed, but we will get to emails very soon. I just I have just one. Have one. Well, just, uh, and also, Clayton, your microphone has gone out of control, so we've got to stick away from you right now. So email us at the B.O. Boys podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at the B.O. Boys pod. And we are YouTubers. Scott, you are going to be on YouTube. So get excited about that. All the YouTube comments coming in and follow us, subscribe, ring that bell on YouTube. And yeah, Clayton, I don't think there is anything left to say and we're going to see if clayton could even say anything else right now because clayton there's nothing left to say right uh except for i I sound like a robot you sound like a robot and like a robot it's time to say until next time we'll smell you at the box office Nailed it.